I'm just north of Crawford on 45. Got a wedge tornado in front of me crossing 45 right now. Approaching a twisting storm. Please exercise caution. Hey guys, what's up? It's the Weather Channel Podcast. I'm Ari Sarsalari. I'm a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel, and this one I've been waiting for for a while. I'm actually really, really excited about this because we're going to talk to a professional storm chaser who, full disclosure, he works with us, and he's a good buddy of mine. His name is Brett Adair, and uh, we're going to go through really just a lot of stuff, all aspects of the chase, uh, maybe some of the raw scenes that he's come up upon, some heartbreaking scenes that uh, he's seen with his own eyes, um, and, you know, just... Also, his business in general. This has been kind of an emerging business. People going out, getting video, selling it to... Um, you know, different news stations, ours included. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that really just started this business up from from the ground. I remember, gosh, what was it, Brett, 2012, 2013, when I was working in Huntsville and you were literally going like door to door trying to get people to, you know, sign contracts with you and stuff, right? Yeah, Ari, you know, it's it's been a grind, but uh, it's been very, uh, very effective. And uh, we still make sure that we do that that door to door relationship where uh you know we come and see you guys quite a bit and uh it's it's definitely working out and we are uh, a growing business for sure. Yeah, it's fantastic. So I want to jump right into the meat of this stuff because let me just tell you. I mean, storm chasing is something that I really wish that I could say that I've done more of it. You know, my problem is I'm kind of a severe weather uh, specialist, so all the stations I've worked at, I've always been stuck in the studio watching the radar when we've got all these events going on. So, um I want to know from you, like, what is the worst situation you've been in? Because I know you've chased a ton of tornadoes. What is one situation you can think of where maybe, you know, you were trying to stay at a safe distance, but then all of a sudden you looked up in the sky, maybe the tornado's coming towards you, and you're like, oh, crap, I think we fouled up here. Well, Ari, the biggest thing is, you know, I was born and raised here in uh, central Alabama. I've uh, been in this Birmingham television market all my life, so we've got some really big names here in severe weather, so... At an early age, I, I started paying attention to that, grew fond of weather, and, um, you know, we, we dealt with some devastating tornado outbreaks here. And I have to say, probably the closest calls and the, the most intense situations that I've been in have occurred here in Alabama. And it's not really, it's not what I would call just a single situation because, you know, there's so many different dynamics that come into play in the southeast. You have the, you have trees, uh, you know, visibility we have hills, we have mountains in places. So, um, I, you know, I, I try personally, I feel comfortable with storms and, and being a meteorologist, I, I know how to, to look at them from the field aspect, but also that uh, the radar aspect that you guys in the studio are really monitoring and, and you know, warning the public about. So, when I'm in the field, I want to try to play as safely as I can with my, you know, my decision-making skills. But, uh, you know, we have come up on a couple of situations, and one of them that was pretty scary was, uh, which, you know, we don't we don't recommend that anyone do any night chasing, so to speak. That's got to be just so dangerous, man. Night chasing, you know, especially if it's in Dixie Alley in the southeast where you got all the trees and the hills and everything. Oh, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Last, um... Last January, we had a couple of days where we had a couple of different outbreaks. Uh, we had a tornado that hit Hattiesburg, Mississippi, EF3, uh, hit at about 4, 4.30 in the morning. 
and we were there for that. We were pulling into Hattiesburg as a tornado was preparing to cross that Interstate 59 corridor, and we we got pretty close. Uh, we saw the power flashes, got pretty close, and uh, we we kind of almost got sideswiped by this tornado. Um, we were pulling back, and you know we got turned a little bit, which we drive a suburban, which is a heavier vehicle, but we got turned a little bit, and. Um, you know, once once the day the daylight finally you know showed the devastation, we were about you know eighty yards from the path of that tornado. So that was probably the closest call that I've had. But then again, you know, you've got eighty hundred foot pine trees that you're you're looking into, and you, you just don't have that visibility even even at night in the plains in the central plains, Oklahoma, Kansas, uh, Nebraska. You know you can get tornadoes well lit by lightning, and you can see them pretty well in the southeast. That's just not so. It's not a place for amateur chasers to be chasing very often, I would imagine. So, you know, what are some of the most challenging situations that you've been in. You know, obviously, probably a little bit easier to chase in the plains, but the other thing about the plains is that there's so many people there, especially in May and June, every time you get a day that looks like there's going to be a lot of tornadoes. You know, is it more challenging to be around more people, even though you have more visibility, or is it more challenging with all the trees in the hills, you know, in somewhere like the southeast, where maybe there aren't as many chasers, but you can't see anything, and all the tornadoes are rain-wrapped and stuff? It's really a double-edged so because as you said it it depends on the day for me personally I'm very comfortable chasing in the southeast because it's where I started so going to the plains in my opinion is is really more like a vacation for me because it's it's not as difficult in terms of the storm but when you get in the plains the biggest problem is the numbers um you know I love all the chasers. We try to interact with all the guys that are in the field. We have really good relationships with a lot of people there. Um, however, even some of your locals, you know, that just live there, uh, come out come out of the woodwork to go and see a storm when they, you know, they hear these things like these moderate and these high risk, and they're like, "Well, okay, I want to go see this thing." Well, when you when you put a you know a thousand or fifteen hundred people on a road network that is gridded in the plains in a county, uh, you get a lot of congestion. Um, And we've even had this in some major tornado situations before. And, you know, my concern at that point is not necessarily the storm, but more of the drivers and people paying attention because, you know, we've had some tragedies in the last year or two with, you know, automobile accidents. And that is more of a fear for me than the actual storm in the plains. Yeah. How often do you see people just completely breaking traffic rules and things like that? I know when this started to become really popular, like what, in the mid-2000s or so, um, you were just seeing it all the time. I mean, people were just, you know, going on the shoulder and all that kind of stuff. Has that stuff been curbed at all over the last few years, or is it still really bad? Well, a lot of the more experienced chasers are very vocal about this these days. I mean, look, traffic laws are broken every single day by, you know, Joe Schmo anywhere. But when we're out there, we want to try to set, number one, the best example for, you know, because there's what we call greenhorn chasers or younger chasers that are coming out. But, um, you know, you really just don't know if it's chasers or locals or, you know, just the, the people passing through because, again, those those things happen all the time. It's, but, you know, uh, we, we are pretty critical at times. 
times, and I've I've been called out myself on things. And and the, there's a there's a pretty tight knit community of of chasers, and you know if they see you doing something wrong, they're going to come to you, and they'll definitely uh, call you out and say, "Hey, look, we, we need to we need to talk about this, and we need to make sure this gets corrected before number one, you get hurt." Or you hurt someone else. Yeah, that leads to kind of an interesting question, too. Like, what is the difference between a professional chaser such as yourself and, like, an amateur chaser? And do you feel like one has more of a right to the road? Like, just talk about that a little bit. Well, I don't. Um, In terms of right to the road, everybody has just as much right to be out. And that will never change, you know. Some people have different feelings about that, but personally I know that will never change because, you know, whether there's a severe storm or whether it's a sunny day, if they want to hit the road, they're going to hit the road, and there's not a thing you can do about it. But, you know, that's it's interesting you bring up that description of a professional chaser versus an amateur chaser. Um, I like meeting new chasers, the, the quote-unquote amateur chaser. A lot of those guys are either meteorology students, they've been big-time weather enthusiasts and they're just very interested in coming out and learning about the weather and uh you know really and truly the the more veteran guys should you know lead those those new chasers and and just show them kind of the way not necessarily quote unquote the rules of the road but just show them the way and show them how to do things in the right way and you know don't cause problems um my biggest thing when i come into an area i like to make friends with you know local law enforcement local emergency management. Um, We do live streaming video, so we get a lot of messages when we're on the way to a target because, you know, normally I'll talk about a target for a couple of days if it's it's pretty blatant to where we're going to go. And then I'll have a lot of those folks that'll just watch the stream while we're riding out there for six or eight hours and we'll get, you know, we'll get contacted by a lot of those locals. And in my opinion, building those relationships in the areas that might take a hit is huge because you just do not know when number one they may be able to help you i've had help on uh, you know needing to know certain places or road networks and and this quote unquote fan base that has been built by streaming is just amazing so let's go back to the beginning like when did you start chasing why did you start chasing i mean is it the same typical story as a lot of people hey i was always a weather enthusiast i grew up in a place with a lot of tornadoes and i just got really interested in it yeah i mean i've been a big weather enthusiast all my life here in birmingham we have a man known by the name of uh, james Spann who is huge here and uh watched him growing up and and had some some mentoring by another meteorologist here david neal he helped me along the way and the chasing bug really bit me when i was in high school um may the 7th 2003 uh pretty big outbreak took place that week all across the central u.s and uh we had a high risk day that day here and it just so happens uh had a pretty good supercell pop up across the county line and uh, dropped a tornado, and it was it was moving in our direction. So uh, that was my junior year of high school, and that was the first time I really got out and uh, took off and, and caught a tornado here in my county. Um, luckily, nobody was hurt or anything, but that was that was more of the 
the thing that that started my passion for seeing it in the field versus the the science behind you know learning the radar and the models i've been interested in that for many many years and i'd been studying that but the well you know seeing it firsthand it's just something it's not it's not necessarily the adrenaline rush but it's something that you know every time you go see a storm it's going to be different it's it's different every time there's some aspect or element and you know that's that's a lot of the uh reason that we have you know the teams like the the vortex projects and uh nssl going out every year to try to find out you know to determine why certain storms produce tornadoes and why they don't because every single storm is different and that just intrigues me so much what is the most impressive looking tornado that you've seen like when you look back you know you've seen a lot of tornadoes right like what what would just be the one that you that really sticks out in your mind like holy moly that was a freaking tornado man well there are two i'll give you both of them the one that sticks out in my mind is the chapman tornado uh, do you remember the Chapman tornado from 2016, the day after Dodge City's Tornado Fest? Oh, my gosh. Well, the Dodge City one itself was an incredibly visually, you know, just crazy-looking tornado. It had the big condensation funnel and everything. I'm trying to remember the one after that. I'm sure I covered it, but, gosh, there were so many in that couple of days. What That was in uh, Kansas, right? That was in northeast Kansas. We had a... Um I'll tell you the setup. We we caught Dodge City the day before, and it was incredible. 45 minutes of straight tornado video, not a lot of damage, no injury-type situation. So for a storm chaser, that's the best of the best. You're getting, you know, dusty tornado in an open field, and it's not hurting people and not a lot of damage. There was a farmhouse that got hit. Let me play a clip from that real quick, actually, and uh, this is a clip of you guys chasing that Dodge City tornado. And, you know, obviously... It's tough without the visual here, listening on the podcast, but, I mean, this is just a huge tornado. It's moving from right to left across the screen, and then it basically uh, hits Oh, it's the hitting the house or a barn. Look. Oh, it just destroyed something. It's moving toward that house. Uh-oh. Oh, no. This is about to be bad. It's fixing the barrel of that house. Yeah, just hold up. I can't get in Pieces of the house are flying apart. Oh, no. So what's going through your mind when you're watching something like that? And, you know, as it turns out, were those people in the basement or maybe they weren't in the house? I know nobody got hurt in that tornado, if I'm not mistaken, right? Right. We were very lucky. When you're watching that, obviously you don't know the specifics. You know, that that was the one structure that I saw that took some major damage. Um, the people were not at home, so they were very, very lucky. They were not at home because uh, watching that, they likely would have sustained some type of injuries. But the tornado... Um, at the time of the audio of that clip, the tornado was moving toward the structure. And, and something very interesting, there was not a lot of what we call upper-level flow that day. So the storm was kind of moving slow, and the tornado itself was a little bit of a meandering tornado, meaning that it didn't have a, you know, a, a directional path that was consistent. So it moved a little to the west, and then that tornado, before it hit the house, 
it jogged to the north and to the east a little bit, so it did not completely destroy that structure. But again, we, we had no idea of knowing at that point in time whether anyone was at home or not. So talk about that Chapman tornado then. What was so um, you know visually interesting about that one? It was the next day. Again, it was in northeast Kansas, just uh, northeast of Salina, and it actually ended up crossing uh, Interstate 70 up there east of Salina, in between Salina and Topeka. Um, We actually watched that storm develop from 80, 90 miles away as we were moving in that direction, and it was really a low-probability day. It was kind of what we call a boomer bust. There was a boundary there, and there was a a lot of cape and instability and a little bit of shear. Um, That storm developed up there and produced a small tornado near Solomon, um, and then it got its act together. It hooked up with that boundary, which enhanced its low-level shear, and it really went to town. There was a tornado that developed from Solomon to Chapman, uh, and it was on the ground for 90 minutes, which is an incredibly long time for a tornado. And the most impressive thing, we, we pulled up on a house that was completely obliterated, completely obliterated with a state trooper. And uh, we were able to we were able to pull up and we were able to, to to help some people get out of their basement. The house is completely slabbed, but they're in the basement and they walk up the steps and walk out of the house with, with no injuries, not even a scratch on them. Um, you know, that was the first thing that was just impressively amazing about that storm to me but the second thing the next day we were uh, up there looking for damage and, and one of our one of our good chase buddies uh brandon clement uh came up on a set of railroad tracks and i personally have never seen this before the tornado went over the railroad tracks and bent them multiple times and i've never seen that before that's something that people really don't understand when it comes to tornado damage um you know, I remember the first time I saw tornado damage in person. I think it was an EF3 uh, right on, along the Ohio River. It was between Ohio and West Virginia. I used to work near Huntington, West Virginia. And it was an EF3. And I just, the thing that really stuck out to me in my head was, first of all, the smell. The smell is something I'll never forget. A lot of, um, you know, just that freshly broken tree smell. There's so many things about seeing tornado damage in person that, just cannot be recreated when you're watching it on TV or watching a video on an app or something like that. Um, the other thing that really stuck out in my head was uh, the guardrails um, were bent. Like there was sheet metal that had been taken from the guardrail and like just completely wrapped around a tree. And I remember physically trying to unwrap it and I couldn't do it. And that was just an EF3. And I think the Chapman one was an EF4 and that one you were just talking about, I actually just looked it up and now I remember it because I remember putting together a little radar presentation for a video we did on the app where we were talking about how lucky the town was because this thing, it was headed right toward town and it kind of took a little bit of a jog toward the south right before it got into town. So, I mean, it just kind of skirted the southern edge of the town of Chapman. But that was an EF4, big, nasty, violent tornado, and that could have been a whole lot worse. No doubt about it. We watched the tornado as it skirted south of town, too. We were we had just went through downtown. We got off the interstate, went through downtown, went south, and got ahead of the storm, and we watched the tornado. Uh, it's a little bit hilly there south of Chapman, so we watched the tornado uh, come through, and, you know, we were obviously all praying because when we went through town, there was a park that was on the, uh, west, the west side of the highway there. I can't remember the number, but um, there were people playing in the park because it was 
still sunny as the storm was approaching. I mean, people were outside, and we were like, you know, there's a tornado coming. Get out of here. And uh, luckily, those people listened. You know, the sirens weren't sounding at that time. They started going off, and, um, you know, luckily the people paid attention there, and I don't think we had a death from that tornado either, and I'm going to be honest, that was probably the most violent tornado that I've ever watched, uh, regardless of the rating. The ratings are based on the damage indicators, and I'm just going to say that is probably the most violent tornado I've ever seen. I think it was rated at 190. Yeah, I was looking at it. I think it was... um... If I'm not mistaken, I think it was EF4, maybe 180 or something like that. But, uh, you know, like you said, I mean, this you, you see this all the time, especially out in the plains, when you get a tornado that it doesn't hit much. You have to uh, uh, rate the tornado based on the damage. So you could have a tornado that has 210-mile-an-hour winds, and if it only destroys a structure that was not that well built in the first place, the Weather Service has to come in and they say, well, we can only rate EF3 based on this. And I've seen several cases where I'm sure that it was at least an EF4 or an EF5. But, you know, they've had to just say EF3 because it was out in the middle of a field, you know. Um, All right. Let me let me ask you, speaking of damage, you know, I know a big part of what you do is getting the video of the tornado and getting video of the damage. And then you take that video and you sell it to, you know, uh, news broadcasters, etc. But, you know, I'm sure very often you come up on some pretty bad damage. Like what's the worst damage that you have rolled up on after a tornado just happened? Well, this one impacts me heavily. Um the worst that I've ever seen, unfortunately, is pretty close to home. Um, we were here for the April 27, 2011 outbreak. Um, we were personally coming down through the Northport area on uh, 359 there, north of Tuscaloosa, as the tornado was, was going through town and all kind of debris was falling out of the sky. I mean, vehicle got hit by a two-by-four that fell out of the sky. And um, if you're familiar with Tuscaloosa, you know where DCH Regional Medical Center is. And uh, as we as we approached the medical center, you could see a lot of, uh, of two-by-fours and plywood and stuff just laying all over the roadway there. And, and we were looking to our east, and you could see this huge, nasty tornado that was just chewing the ground up moving toward the uh western birmingham metro and as we topped the hill right there and and entered the dch medical center parking lot um it honestly looked like something that you would see out of a war movie looking south toward 15th street um south of uh, bryant denny stadium where a lot of the apartment complexes are one of my really good friends in Tuscaloosa, Richard Scott. He's a meteorologist here. Uh, his home was destroyed over in that area somewhere. Um, there was a full moon barbecue that, that sat there on the corner. And um, when we when we rolled up, uh, obviously that day, um, you know, we're working media, but that day we left the stream going in the truck. I did not grab any kind of a camera equipment or anything. I just I felt a sinking feeling in my gut that that was not the thing to do at that point in time. So we just got out, uh, got geared up, and we went straight into search and rescue mode. And we we found the uh, Full Moon Barbecue does a lot of catering here. So we found their van in the roof of a house or what was left of a house on 15th Street. And it was, I mean, that was just the most incredible gut-wrenching thing that I've ever seen or smelled. You talk about that smell. I will never forget the smell of busted transformers off power poles a day in my life. Every time I pull up on a damage path and that scent 
hits me, you know, I know that I'm walking into something that is likely going to be really, really bad. It just brings those Tuscaloosa memories back. It's amazing how smells can bring you right back to places. So I know, obviously, you know, the April 27th tornado that they had in Tuscaloosa, along with, you know, obviously several more massive, incredibly destructive tornadoes that day. Um, Another um, situation where you rolled up on some pretty bad damage was uh, the Mayflower, Arkansas tornado. Tell us about that one we did we were uh we sat in arkansas for a good portion of the day uh it was another high risk day there and you know not a lot went on most of the day and in a lot of cases kind of like uh you know like a lot of your high risk days it's later in the day because the air is you know what we call capped you don't get a lot of thunderstorm development but when those thunderstorms do decide to finally go off later in the afternoon and the evening, they're very, very violent, and they go tornadic in a really fast manner. So we were uh, we were sitting in Pine Bluff and just kind of watching things, and we started to see a cell go toward uh, the southwest of Mayflower. So we jumped on the interstate and got north of Little Rock, and by the time we, we made it into uh, to Mayflower there on I-40, uh, the sirens were beginning to go off, and we were hearing reports of a tornado to the southwest. Um, we watched a big tornado on the south side of Mayflower come through town. And as it went by, we uh, we proceeded toward the north. And uh, right off the interstate, there was a there was a, a trailer park there. There was a grocery store there. Right off of Interstate 40, there, just on the uh, south side of Mayflower, and we pulled up on scene. And and then on that situation, there was a gas line that had ruptured. And that that one I'll always remember for the the stout smell of gas. And uh, again, it looked like another scene from a war movie. That that tornado was so fast moving. Uh, it, it got wrapped in rain and so violent as it moved through there. It just pretty much chewed up and destroyed everything. And again, another situation. We we had uh, we had four or five people in our convoy. So we got out. Can anybody hear me? We're going into search and mess rescue mode. We had a guy who was a, a medic in the army, and uh, we unfortunately had to do some CPR on an individual who who did not make it in that trailer park. He was uh, not to be too graphic, but he he had a, a piece of plywood and, and such stuck in his back, and uh, we did everything that we could. Again, my my phone dealing in media. My phone was going off because our feet. We 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 left the live stream running in the truck, just kind of pointed toward our direction while we were out trying to help and uh i had to do an i had to do an interview right after that that happened and it was it was pretty emotional i mean it uh those things you know get embedded in your mind and and they definitely never leave you yeah you know it's one thing when you're watching a tornado on radar it's another thing when you're watching a tornado from your car from a mile away or even half a mile away but it's another thing when you roll up onto the damage and see what the tornado actually did I I still think um, the most, you know, fascinating piece of television I've ever watched in my life was a similar situation. It was after the Joplin tornado. Mike Bettis, just a fantastic meteorologist and one of the best on-air guys, I think. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact details of the situation, but he saw some pretty horrific stuff. I mean, they Joplin was one of the most violent tornadoes of all time. I mean, some of the damage from that is just uh, otherworldly. And I think 
you know, they rolled up on the damage there, and he must have seen maybe some deceased people or something like that, and they go to him, and he has to go live, and he just starts crying. I mean, he just starts crying, and it was just a, uh, just a very raw piece of uh, television where, you know, at the core, you're just a human being, and you're seeing other human beings that have been so badly hurt. Have Have you been in multiple situations like that, Brett? I know you just talked about the Mayflower situation, and you know, I know this is, can be a little bit on the graphic side, but this, you know, it's real talk. I mean, this is real life. It, these things happen. So, have you been in any situations um, where you have seen people that have, you know, been deceased? Absolutely. We, um, and and I'm going to caution you if if you are you know, interested in this uh, either field meteorology, field reporting, uh, storm chasing, it is, it's only a matter of time before you're going to see these type of things. And um, you, you have to be a very strong person, I mean, because it, it definitely does take a toll mentally. Um, the, the first real mass casualty type event that I rolled up on was Tuscaloosa. We pulled 13 people out of homes. We were loading them up into cars. Um, ambulances, what, whatever we could load them up into that, that had wheels on it still because a lot of your, I mean, the police station was hit. The emergency management agency was hit and destroyed in Tuscaloosa. Uh, DCH had a lot of the windows blown out. So, I mean, we were we were loading people up in whatever we could, and unfortunately we, we pulled out eight deceased individuals as well. I mean, we were, we were doing all we could, and, and, you know, those sit mentally. And then, again, with the Mayflower case and the most, I guess the most recent one was um, Holly Springs, Mississippi. Uh, December the 23rd of, of 2015, we caught the uh we had a big another big severe weather day on tap and we had a uh, supercell thunderstorm develop near near clarksdale and dropped a tornado and and the same storm kept plowing to the east and we caught that tornado south of of holly springs and it was a it was a pretty nasty multi-vortex tornado when we caught it crossed interstate 55 near sardis and flipped a lot of uh flipped a couple semis and hit some vehicles and uh, a lot of uh, well documented video of that out there and then um as we get into the evening those storms uh they picked up speed and forward momentum is a big driver to uh violent tornadoes and that storm raked up uh up through holly springs as we were we were to the south side of it approaching the storm and came into the south end of holly springs on that day which just two days before christmas and uh you know unfortunately there was a there was a vehicle that was hit and a uh a kid that was that was in the vehicle that was uh that was killed there on the highway um i believe they were they were traveling to uh some family's home or traveling back home from family one or the other for uh for a you know a christmas party or christmas celebration and you know i i think that one hit me really really hard because you know i have young children at home and uh i don't i don't i wouldn't ever want anybody to have to feel that you know I experience, you know, a child passing away due to uh, severe weather on, you know, a holiday. I mean, you don't want to experience that ever, but I mean, that's just, that just took a really big toll on, on our whole crew. You know, one thing that the weather service I don't think gets enough credit for is um, just the things that they have to see sometimes when they go out and they do their damage surveys. One thing that really does always stick out in my head uh, from when I worked in Huntsville, Alabama, I remember I was visiting the weather service one time, and of course I was buddies with a lot of the guys from the weather service. 
service. And, you know, I just started asking one of them about what the what it was like doing the damage surveys after the April 27th, 2011 outbreak. And his face just completely changed. And, you know, he, to his credit, he really opened up to me about it, but it completely opened my mind to something that I never thought of, which is basically the fact that after an event like that, the weather service people, they have to get um, counseling and stuff. He was explaining some of the stuff to me and it was very graphic. You know, I mean, he's saying, look, you, you have no idea what we've seen. I mean, you know, he was talking about one of the EF5s that they had. It was either in um, uh, Jackson County or DeKalb County up in northeast Alabama where they were finding people on like half a tree branch that had been ripped off, you know, just really crazy graphic stuff that um, if you're not used to seeing it, it is something that you will need counseling for and it's going to really mess you up mentally. So yeah, at the end of the day, you know, I know we're talking a lot about storm chasing, but there's the reality of, you know, what you can actually roll up on sometimes. All right, um, Brett, let me get into kind of what it's like when you're out there. So is it kind of like Twister? When you're when you're a storm chaser, uh, you guys like playing the music and everybody's having fun and you've got your goofy little buddy across the street that you're going to race to see you can get to the tornado first. Or is it more like it's really, really boring, really, really boring most of the time and you rarely see a tornado? You know, it's a lot of driving. I mean, the driving factor is huge. Um, again, that's why I say that's the most dangerous part of it. But I, I'll tell you, we, we try um, – to have some fun, you know, especially on our way out there. Living here in Alabama, like now, we're we're into May. Our severe weather season here is on the on the down, you know, the downside, and we're starting to go into summer here. So if we're going to chase storms, our our chasing will be from Oklahoma to the High Plains now for the rest of the year. So we have a pretty good drive for every trip that we make, and you know that that allows us to kind of let loose and have a little bit of fun we we have some music again i i'm one of the guys that likes to do a lot of the live streaming with the music and the audio and interact with people because you know it gives us something to do because it is a lot of driving i mean you know it may be two days of driving versus one day or a half day of chasing so there is a lot of downtime from the actual storm chasing quote unquote the adventure time when you're going you know on the active storm situations um is it like twister that's a good question uh I, i'm gonna say no um definitely not like twister i mean you you do meet some characters in the field again lots of good people out there um it's it's great to interact with those folks and and catch up and you know a lot of people from different places so um it, it does end up being i don't want to say like a vacation because that just sounds bad but it, it ends up being almost like a reunion when you see some of these people that you see once or twice a year and uh you've become good friends with but uh you know a, a lot of it is the the interaction and and the quote unquote hurry up and wait that does make a lot of sense the other thing i'm really uh, interested in is what is the dynamic like with you guys in the car i'm going to play a clip here for you i didn't tell you i pulled this this clip but we'll see if you recognize it and it it really just kind of gives you an idea of what it's like inside the car you've got some people kind of disagreeing on whether you should go forward or backward and whatnot here just have a listen to this watch out slow down slow down slow down we're stop we're good stop. that's rfd this is rfd in front of us right here tornado's right there moving away from us this way Y'all can go a little bit farther. Go around them? Yeah. Hello? 
Get lost. Look out. Crush the hill. Wow. I think that's still tornado. That, that's still tornado. That's the tornado that's moving this way. Parallel on the road. Holy smokes. Look at all the trees down. Slow down, slow down. We're good. We're good. This is God. This is perfect. We're perfect. We just had a power line that we almost hit. No, we're good. There it is. Yeah. Massive tornado. Right. John, are you filming? No, because I can't see from back here. Good God, give it to me. Well, don't give it to me. Right here. Here, I got one. Slow. Here. There you go. You recognize that clip, Brett? You remember that one? <laughs> uh, that one would be the high-risk day in East Mississippi, April 28th of maybe 13. Probably 14, Columbus, Mississippi. 14, that was Colum- Columbus, Mississippi. There were, uh, <laughs> uh, I was I was trying to be the voice of reason in the passenger seat. and I could hear that. Who were you with there? Uh, that was Eric Parker as well. He was driving, <laughs> and I had, uh, I had John Sibley in the back. He was he was along filming that day, and uh, Ryan Carty was also in the back that day. Eric was seeing something, and I wasn't necessarily seeing the same thing. Well, I'll tell you what ended up happening. There were two tornadoes on that particular cell that crossed that highway in front of us, and we had one of the situations where that rear flank downdraft wrapped around in front of one and it obscured it by rain so i couldn't see that's why i was like i don't think that's the tornado i think the tornado's over there well it ended up we both ended up being right that the first signature that crossed the road was a tornado well the second one behind it was also a tornado and uh we we got up the highway we were a little bit behind it but we we got up the highway there i think it was 45 south of columbus and uh there was a church on the the eastbound side of the highway there that was destroyed and there were all kind of pie, uh, pine trees that were that were mowed down and once we got beyond the pine trees there was a big field and we could see a big wedge tornado off in the foreground there so um you know we we've been on some pretty intense chases and when you have people in a vehicle with you you're not necessarily always going to agree on things but you know from my standpoint i'm looking at it as a safety issue and i am responsible for anyone that's with me i take personal responsibility for that so i want to make 110 percent sure that we're safe to proceed we're safe to move forward and we're not going to risk being a object that is thrown by a tornado are you trying to get as close to the tornado as you can uh safely or you know you have some people that are just total vigilantes that are just i just want to get as close to the tornado as i can get and you know they take a lot of flack in the meteorological community because very often and this kind of bothers me i can't stand when meteorologists get on their high horse on their soapbox and they're like these guys are being stupid they're gonna get themselves killed well you know what they're making that decision for themselves and they're allowed to make that decision if they want okay i would be getting upset if they're putting other people in danger but you know what when those guys get really close to that tornado and I can get my hands on that video that can basically show people what it's like to be inside a tornado. I can put that in my videos when I'm doing a severe weather forecast, and I can say, this is why y'all got to take these warnings seriously, you know? Like, what do you guys do? Years ago, you know, uh, seeing the tornado was the top priority for me. Um, 
it was it was more of a of a strategic manner and i had a plan in place of how i wanted to to intercept sales and you know that over the years and gaining experience and understanding how these things work and, and again being a meteorologist knowing the environmental factors as well as knowing how to uh, I don't want to say read the storm, but just knowing the storm structure visually from being in the field so much, I believe that's helped a lot in in regards to how close and you know uh, how quickly we get to a storm and, and how we intercept it. A lot of um, in your storm spotter classes, you're taught to get southeast of you know the hook echo. I mean that's kind of the standard thing if it were a perfect world and every storm had a hook echo, you get southeast of the hook echo and you can look up into it and if there's a tornado you can see it. Well, unfortunately, uh here in the southeast especially, we run into a lot of what we call bounded echoes. I know you know exactly what I mean and they're wrapped in rain. And beware of the beware. There you go, the beware. Uh, bounded weak <laughs> echo region. So the tornado is fully condensed in rain. So my method, and it's not necessarily the method of choice. Sometimes we go down into what's called the bear's cage uh, from the northeast, and most tornadoes move, you know, from southwest to northeast. Most, not all, but most. Um, and we, we get in a position to where we have a road network where we have a north, south, east, or west route, but we're in front of the tornado where the tornado is coming at us so that we can see it. It puts us in a position um, to where even getting into those weak echo regions, we can see the tornado. The closer I can get these days, the better for me. You know, we're in the video industry. I'm, I'm shooting tight. I've got a wide-angle camera. A lot of people are trying to do 360-type imagery now. Um, and while that is my focus, I, wanna, I do want to say this. If you are chasing, spotting, whatever, there are two tools that I use that are an absolute must. Number one, spotternetwork.org has a great app uh, where you can go in, you can take a test, kind of like a storm spotter class, uh, to get certified to use that app. And as soon as I saw the tornadoes, I reported them. I report the tornadoes. And, you know, being a member of the media and being a meteorologist, I also have a tool, uh, which you guys have, National Weather Service Chat. And I make sure that I communicate those things with the Weather Service and get those reports out before focusing on anything else. Because, again, that's the most important thing. We need, uh, while while I'm not going to claim to be one of the guys that goes out to save lives, if there's a possibility that I can put information out there that the Weather Service and television meteorologists can disseminate to help save a life, I'm absolutely going to put that to the forefront before I do anything else. Yeah, that's something you hear all the time from a lot of chasers. Hey, we're out here to save lives. I think it started back, um, you know, during that show, Storm Chasers, back in the day. You remember? I loved that show. Man, I used to get excited for that show, and I couldn't watch it before I went to bed because my heart would be racing too much. That's how much I, you know, I'm sure you definitely know what I'm talking about when you got a passion for severe weather and tornadoes and storms and stuff like that. But uh, you just hear everybody on that show, and there, you know, to be fair, there were some people 
on there that were doing life-saving work. But, you know, what you see, for the most part, I think the vast majority of the people that are out there storm chasing, they're out there for the thrill, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Chuck Doswell, I saw him give a talk a couple years ago where he was saying the same thing. He's like, I'm not out there to save lives. I'm out there to see storms. It's a thrill, man. Like, I'll just say it. What's wrong with saying that, you know? But then, obviously, if you roll up on damage, you're going to get out and help. Obviously, if you see a tornado, you're going to report it to the weather service. I mean, that's just being a regular good human being. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I want to get into what it's like, you know, doing your job. And you've got to be away from home so much. I know you've got a wife. And how many kids do you have? We have four kids. So it's a, it's a big task to be at to be away from home. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a challenge for me. How do you schedule everything? Do you just schedule random weeks? Because I know for, like, a random thrill chaser like myself, what we usually do is, you know, you'll be sitting around in February, and you'll be like, all right, let's plan a trip out to the plains right in the heart of severe weather season and just cross our fingers and hope we get lucky. So you plan the whole trip. You'll go in, like, late May or something for a week. And if there's no severe weather then, then you're screwed, you know? You probably go when you know there's going to be some action, right? Well, well, it's interesting you say that. I, I don't really, you know, I used to plan like that. Uh, I was a full-time guy uh, before I, I finished up my meteorology degree and before we really developed our company, which uh, Livestorms Media has become a very, very big entity for us. So uh, last year, I was on the road roughly 180 days of the 365. So it's it's more of a situation to where, you know, we've got models that we can watch and get a general idea of what may happen with a pattern, you know, seven, five to seven days out. So a lot of my planning is on the fly. And basically, my wife has stuck a calendar on my phone. And, you know, I have all my kids events and and, uh, doctor's appointments and, and all of those things are on my phone. And it's like, okay, I can't do it this day. All right, my my kid's fourth grade graduation is this day. Uh, we've we've got a doctor's appointment this day, so you know I, I have to do a lot of juggling. I mean, I've canceled doctor's appointments, pushed them back. I mean, this this is really where where my passion and my drive are, and if I can see a situation to where I feel like it's going to be a big type of day, um, you know, I'm gone, and sometimes that that works out for us. Sometimes we, uh, we're like every other couple and every other family. Sometimes there's a little bit of an argument there, but you know, it's, it's really, uh, real world situations. It's definitely not any situation anymore where I plan it like a, a set date and time that I go. I mean, if I see something, I'm gone. So you've worked so hard to put together this company, Livestorms Media. And, you know, one of the hallmarks of the company is that you have so many chasers that are working for you and they are bringing the video back to you. And then you, you know, sell the video to the broadcast companies and then, you know, pay the chasers as needed. I mean, does it get to a point where you have enough people working for you that you can just sometimes be like, you know what, there's a pretty big event going on. I can stay at home. Y'all go chase this one. Y'all go chase that one. And maybe it can you know, make things a little easier for your family life? Or do you still have that drive that if you know there's a big event, you want to get out there and chase? Yeah, I don't think that I will ever be the guy that can sit behind the desk. I just, I I do it. 
Um, but again, a lot of people don't realize I am, uh, I am extremely busy when I'm on the road because I'm focusing on the storms. I'm focusing on doing the media work, not only for myself, but for, you know, we've got approximately 300 contractors nationwide that we're doing this for. So we, you know, in terms of my phone, and I know you guys have given me a call at times, my phone is literally on the side of my head, you know, 18 hours out of a 24 four-hour day if we have significant weather so i just can't though that that's just my passion and that's the reason that i got into the weather like i said i started you know chasing here locally and it just it exploded and i just don't think um you know there's situations where i'll have to miss events but if i can be there you know i'm definitely going to try to be there as long as it doesn't cut into you know things with the family because i i know that uh like my kids, they're young, they're going to grow up. And, uh, you know, I don't want them to remember me for not being there for things. So I do definitely put that as a priority. But days that events are not taking place, you know, I, I feel like that, you know, I need to be there because I feel like, you know, maybe I'm the guy that goes and gets the shot that day or I'm the guy that could could help somebody out that day. So that's that's just my mentality. And I, I don't I don't really ever see that changing. So when you go out on the road, um, what what kind of what is your setup? How many people are in your vehicle? I know a lot of people have different setups when they go out. Maybe there's some people that chase solo. There's some people that have duos. Heck, when I chased, we had four people in the car. We had me and my wife, both meteorologists. There was another meteorologist in the car, Jake Wyckoff, and uh, then my wife's twin sister, uh, Kim, who's not a meteorologist, but she's a, a big-time weather enthusiast, and she was the one driving the car, and we were giving her all the instructions like how do you guys roll when you chase well right now this season um myself and then i have a i have a guy that works for me his name's steven johnson he he does all of the driving he um he's very very good he's he's got us out of some situations uh in terms of kansas dirt roads and and he's really really good so this year we have rolled with two people there are occasions where um i've got some friends who have chased before uh, Eric is one of my longtime chase partners, but you know, uh, one one aspect that comes into play that uh, that is a problem is you know a lot of people have full time jobs, so it's not like they can just up and take off at any point when they when they want to. It's it's more of a it has to be convenient for them, which is fine. But um, normally, at least this season, we've we've been rolling together. Um, I'm pretty much doing the navigating, watching the radar, watching the sky. Um, but the most important role in that is the driving. I mean, I want someone who is doing nothing but paying attention to the road because, as I've you know, as I've said previously, that is the biggest issue once you get into the plains. So many people on the highways. We need to be very attentive to what's going on on the roads. What do you think? Uh, the future is for storm chasing. I think about where we were at in like the mid 2000s. You know, it's progressed quite a bit since then. You know, you got people doing the 360 video. We got 4K and all this kind of stuff. People are getting nice and close to tornadoes. Like, where do you see things about 10 to 20 years out from now? Well, to be honest, it's it's amazing where we have come since I started. You know, we've we've brought the 4K revolution in and. The 360 may end up being more of a fad uh, versus being a big time, um, 
investment for us because you, you just don't have a real way for your clients to air that type of material unless they're controlling it in a control room when they're airing it. It already feels like it's kind of come and gone, hasn't it? I mean, you know, I I remember a couple 360 videos. I can't remember which company it was or whose video it was, but there was somebody with a uh, camera. It was like a, a 360 camera up on top of their car, and they were coming at this tornado in Oklahoma from a distance, and you could do the 360, and it was cool. You know, you could get in there on your phone. Um, you know, you could do the whole 360 thing, but I feel like... You just don't see it that much anymore, and that was only like two years ago. Like, what happened? Yeah, the the first tornado. I I, I want. I don't want to be the one to say for sure, but I'm going to claim it. I believe I caught the first tornado with a 360 camera. It was a little fly 360, and uh, we were in Arkansas. We caught a a nice little cone tornado on March the uh, I think it was the 17th. Uh, 14. I'll have to go back and pull that. But we caught a little tornado with that. And, and that video did okay. But again, unless you're, you know, if, you're, if you've got clients who are using Facebook or the web, uh, which we have a lot of digital clients like you guys, that that's great. If, uh, if they're getting the clicks and people are going in there and moving that video around, it's great. But for the broadcasters, it's just, you know, unless you've got a control room operator who, who's back there physically moving the video as you're on air, you know, the, the video's just not really that compelling. You see these these big businesses now that are promoting virtual reality where they've created scenarios or games or you know or what have you. And uh you know VR I think could be a, a really big thing going into the future. And and again there's more weather video now being used in in big movies and stuff. So big production companies are also uh one of those things that that continues to thrive from weather video. I'm so interested in what the virtual reality is all about because I feel like that was something that was it was kind of a thing when we were growing up in the 90s I even had that oh what was it it was some video game system some Nintendo virtual it was red I remember you put it up to your eyes and you would play so Brett just a couple of hours ago we threw it out on Twitter that we were going to be talking to you and of course you're a pretty well known storm chaser we wanted to see if anybody had any questions for you while you're here so the first one comes from a listener to this podcast who also happens to work with us works in our department he's a really great writer his name is sean breslin and he's got a great question he says are there any changes to the way that the team chases after tragedies like el reno oklahoma well absolutely because we lost you know we lost three pioneers really in my opinion um i knew tim samaris pretty well had talked to him on a couple of occasions a very brilliant individual And, and unfortunately you know there are things that happen that put you in the wrong place in the wrong time. And I'll tell you one thing that, that I do based on that. And, and it is, uh, if you know anything about that scenario, they were in a, uh, they were in a little Chevy Cobalt vehicle. And, um, I do not chase in small vehicles. I am a suburban guy and I'm a heavy vehicle guy just simply because if, if something were to happen and we were to be struck by a tornado, I want to know that at least, uh, and I, I know it can happen in any vehicle, but I want to know at least that I've got some extra space around me to help with impacts and some some extra uh, weight as well. So that was a day where there were a ton of chasers on the road. Um it was it was an extreme 
environment in terms of instability. We knew if, if a storm went off that it was going to be explosive. I think that thing had tops to near 70,000 feet at one time. Um, that was that was really just a, a very bad situation and, you know, wrong place, wrong time, HP supercell, and you, you couldn't see very much. And, you know, they, they pretty much got blindsided. They knew it a couple of seconds before it hit. And and that was that was pretty much the end and and uh we're definitely more vigilant due to that situation and then then I'll bring it up you know we had another incident last year where we had a car crash and we had three chasers killed and uh, uh again you know driving to the storms we're we're much more vigilant now even uh due to those those circumstances all right so let's see we've got another question here from Danny Chan for life on Twitter she appears to be a meteorology major aspiring professional storm chaser um and they're asking here what's the best way to start a career as a professional chaser professional chasing is it's very unique um we do a lot again with with networks and there are some networks out there who who contract their <clears throat> their own individuals to do the chasing and do the field reporting um again it's not just chasing you you have to learn how to speak on air because in most cases they're going to want you either on air for phoners you're going to be wanted to be on air in front of the camera um interviews there are a lot of videography and communication aspects to that as well as the chasing so it's not just like you're driving to storms there's there's a whole other element to it and you know being a meteorology major is great However, it will not teach you everything you need to know on the the broadcast side of the industry. I know that the there are research uh, grants out there. Certain researchers, kind of like Tim Samaras, Tim Tim did a lot of his stuff under research grants, which uh, he you know had things that he was trying to prove. One of the one of the big projects he had going on before he passed away was a, a big lightning project where he was uh, he had a big lightning camera that he had developed. So breaking into the field of of professional chasing, it's all about having a niche if you can't work for a network. Um, Having the the additional contractors and opening my own company is what put me in a position – to be able to chase full time otherwise you know it would be very very hard for me there are not many people out there that can chase storms full time hey listen brett i really really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us here this was super interesting you're a guy i've wanted to talk to for a really really long time and for the people listening here just remember you can always subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play stitcher is a great app i use pocket cast that's another really good app to uh, listen to podcasts and make sure to check out podcast.weather.com and don't forget to keep tweeting at us with your questions just send us your comments you can tweet at the weather channel or you can tweet me at re weather so again thanks a lot to brett adair of course his company live storms media some of those sounds from some of the videos that were shot by john sibley and gary schmidt of course our producer jim robinson who goes through and edits out all my ums and ahs and all my coughs and stuff because I'm sick. Really appreciate that, buddy. And of course, our hardworking editorial staff here at weather.com. This is a podcast that has a lot of moving parts and they make my job super easy. I get to just sit in this chair. I've got a lot of information provided to me already and I can just do the interview and it's really, really nice to have things that easy. Um, So, hey, I appreciate all your hard work and we'll see you back here next time. Thanks again, Brett. (laughs) 